And you know, I believe the lyrics of that song. Um, I believe that Jesus Christ died not only for my sins, I believe he died for the sins of the world, but I do not believe that everyone in the world has experienced redemption and forgiveness because of that death. I believe it's appropriated by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that there are those who have not heard, and because there are those who have not heard, we've got to go and we've got to tell the world. Tell the world what Jesus Christ did for us. Tell the world what Jesus Christ made available for them. That's our responsibility. That's our calling. Realize we only have so long, we only have so much time to share Christ with the people around us. And as your pastor this morning, I want to do a little equipping if I can. I want to equip you to better share your faith with those around you. And uh, we finished up our study of 1 Corinthians, and we were speaking about stewardship. And we, as we closed out with the uh, stewardship of responsibility, the fact that you have relationships and you have opportunities, and you want to be good stewards of those opportunities and your responsibilities, I, I pointed to the fact that one of our greatest opportunities is that to be a witness And so I want you to turn to a familiar passage, Acts chapter 8. I've probably preached this passage three or four times over the past 15 years. And I want to look at it a little bit differently. I want to look at it kind of in an equipping manner this morning. So stand with me as we look at Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip said, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to the desert Gaza. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home. Reading the prophet Isaiah aloud, the spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, said the the fellow said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who was the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news. That's that word gospel. Good news about Jesus. Beginning from that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look. There's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Father, we thank you for this testimony of a faithful witness. I pray that each one of us would seek to be your obedient witness Be good stewards of that opportunity you've placed. We know that time is short. We know that this life, this side of heaven, is but a vapor that appears for a moment and then vanishes away. And Father, I pray that we would quit. Even those of us who are younger might stop to believe 
or stop believing that we have so much time and so much opportunity when your word says the days are evil and that we're to make the most of every opportunity. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. Equip us and then empower us to go from this place as your witnesses, your missionaries in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know the story of Acts. The Acts is the history of the church. It's the story of exponential growth in the church as the church is established there in Jerusalem. And the church is then being persecuted, so they begin to spread out. God later gets hold of a a man's heart named Saul who becomes Paul, and the gospel is taken to the world. The theme verse in Acts is Acts 1-8, and you shall be my witnesses. Glad we've got that. You shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. A lot of times we say, man, if, if the Holy Spirit comes upon me, then I'm going to be a passionate worshiper, and that may be true. If the Holy Spirit comes upon me, then it's going to give me wisdom that I need in my household and, and in my career and all of my affairs, and that may be true. But the one thing that the Bible says is going to happen if the Holy Spirit comes upon us is that we are going to be witnesses. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right there at home, at the home base of the church where you started, And in Judea, that surrounding area of Jerusalem, and Samaria, you're going to be my witnesses among people you may not like, and you're going to be my witnesses among people who are not like you. And then you're going to be my witnesses in the uttermost parts of the world. And today, God is even bringing the uttermost parts of the world to our backyard. And we can't do this without being an obedient witness. Now, what do we know of Philip? We know in chapter 6 of Acts that they needed to network their ministry because the apostles were to give themselves to prayer and the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Now they were going to be witnesses and they were going to be servants. The apostles were going to continue to do a lot of other things, but they couldn't do all of the ministry, so they began to network ministry and they said, hey, choose some servants from among you. A lot of people believe these men were the first deacons in the church. And choose some men who are going to serve. They're going to help network the care ministry. It's going to end some of the grumbling and complaining in the church because more people are going to be serving instead of just waiting to be served. And we're going to give ourselves to the prayer and care ministry that needs, and, and the preaching and teaching ministry needs of the church. And so uh, Philip was one of those first servants that was singled out as a man full of faith and wisdom and of the Holy Spirit. He was a spirit-filled man full of faith and wisdom that fit this role and, and responsibility. But he didn't say, well, that's my job and I'm not going to do the job of evangelism. I'm not, I'm not going to share my faith. Philip became known as an evangelist. He was going everywhere telling people the story. When persecution hit that first church, we're told that the church scattered. Philip was one who went to another location. And we read about that here in chapter 8 and verse 4. Those who were scattered went on their way proclaiming the message of good news. That's the gospel. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and preached the Messiah, preached Christ to them. He took his story of Jesus with him and begin to tell other people where he was about Jesus Christ. And so being displaced didn't hold him back. And even in the midst of this encounter with this fellow by the name of Simon, who many questioned the authenticity of his faith, and we'll save that sermon for another day. But even in that context, in verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, both men and women were baptized. So people were coming to faith in Christ because of the testimony of Philip, who was displaced because of persecution, scattered. And he said, if if I'm not going to be able to hang out in Jerusalem, 
so be it. I'm going to share Jesus wherever God sends me and wherever God places me. Now, we all desire to live our life on purpose. I hope that all of us desire to make an eternal difference. A couple of weeks from now, when we talk about uh, these graduates, these folks who are graduating, we're going to be praying that whether they stay close to home, their Jerusalem, or whether they end up in the uttermost parts of the world, we pray that they will be living life on purpose for the glory of God. All of us want to know that our life counts for something that makes an eternal difference. And I don't want to just know my life makes an eternal difference. Of course, there's nothing more important than making a difference in somebody's life for eternity. I want to know that my life makes a difference in the lives of others in the nasty here and now as well. That people somehow are impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the way I live and the message that I share. Not just from this pulpit, but in my day-to-day interactions. I want to give you four words this morning as we Kind of walk back through this text again. Four words that if you'll remember these words in order, I promise you they will help you when it comes to being a witness. I pray that the Spirit of God will lay somebody on your heart this morning. A family member, a friend, a co-worker, a classmate. I pray that God will lay somebody on your heart that you're burdened for. I encourage some of you to do what we did a couple of years ago and just go ahead and put your top 10 list together, 10 people that you're praying for to come to faith in Christ, and that you would be reminded, hey, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to make a difference in their life. Here, let me give you those four words right up front, then we'll look at them one at a time. Initiate, inquire, interpret, and invite. Initiate, inquire, interpret, and invite. I want you to get those four words down. I want it to be a part of your vocabulary to where you don't have to look it up in your notes. You just kind of know it in the back of your head. I have to initiate. I have to inquire. I have to interpret and invite. Initiate, inquire, interpret, and invite. You get these four words down, and you make a commitment to be an obedient witness, and they will help you through this process. Now, let's look at the process that we learned from Philip here, this evangelist on fire taking the gospel around the world as he was scattered by persecution. Number one, initiate. Why is that so important? Because when it comes to you being a witness, when it comes to you talking to people about your relationship with Jesus Christ, when it comes to talking about spiritual matters and what matters most in eternity, the most difficult part for you is the same thing that is the most difficult part for me as a preacher of the gospel, and that is simply getting started initiating the conversation, just breaching the subject, just where where you say, I am going to bring up this conversation. That is the most difficult part. We have to get started. And so we learn some things about recognizing divine providence and obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit in this first part of the passage. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now we have the very Word of God speaking to us. And the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and prompting us, but the angel of the Lord said, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to the desert. He said, Philip, get up. You you can't just sit there. You can't be lethargic. And, And the same is true for us in the faith. We have to realize that every day we have to determine, I am going to get up and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. When it's hard to get up and it's hard to put our feet on the floor, hard to get moving, hard to go to work, hard to go to school, consider the Holy Spirit reminding you 
you're on mission today. And, and you may not think you enjoy that classroom. You may not think you enjoy that work environment. You may not think you're ready to face the challenges of your home. You may not like the people in your neighborhood. I don't know what situation you find yourself in the morning, but remember the, the Spirit of God through the Word of God is saying to you, get up and get moving. Let's initiate this process. Get up and go south. He says, I've got something for you. So he got up in verse 27. And by the divine providence of God, there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch. This person had totally set himself aside, had consecrated himself for the purposes of serving Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Before this day is over, he's going to be serving the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Many would say that this Ethiopian would go back and be the one who first took the gospel to Africa. He was in charge of all of her treasury. Now he's got prominence. A lot of times we're like, I can talk to certain people about Jesus, but if they have a certain level of prominence, if they might think they're a little bit better than me and I'm, I'm kind of a nobody, who am I to go and tell them? Listen, you're a child of royalty. To them that believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, John 1.11 says, to them he gave the right or the authority to become the children of God. You're already a child of royalty. And no matter how many how much prominence they may have, no matter how much popularity they may have, they are missing something that you have if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. So consider yourself royalty and don't be intimidated by what kind of situation they find themselves in, be it wonderful or be it horrible. Don't let that hold you back from being a witness. And so he gets up and he, he approaches, he sees this fellow, he's sitting on a chariot, now, God's kind of hooked him up here. He's reading the prophet Isaiah, and he's in a, in a wonderful passage of Scripture, and we see the passage that he's reading. Not only is he reading this passage, that same chapter is what says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. The, the guy's reading the gospel. The next time you're reluctant to talk to that friend or that family member, parents, talk to that child or that grandchild, the next time you're reluctant to talk to them about the gospel, Keep in mind, you may not know what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life. I don't know how many times people have even warned me as a pastor that I've got a family member they're going to be really hard to talk to about Jesus. And so I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, when you go, when you go to that hospital room or when you go to their house, when you bring up Jesus, I want you to do it, but they're not going to receive it well. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'll be sensitive. I'll try to be tactful, wondering what's going to happen as a result. And I go and I begin to share Jesus, and they say, Pastor, I was just reading a book. Pastor, I was just watching this preacher on TV. Pastor, you won't believe it. And so and I come back and I tell their family members or friends or whatever, I said, man, they were wide open. See, we never know what the Holy Spirit is doing in somebody's life. We never know what God is already doing in their life. So when God is prompting you to move, assume that God is already up to something. So you've got to initiate. You have to get up. You have to be sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. And so here's the difficult part of initiating. Now, now you've got to approach him. Now you've got to go up and you've got to get a conversation started. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The gospel is placed into words and we communicate the gospel with words. Now, I remember all those wonderful messages in youth groups, all those wonderful messages in Fellowship of Christian Athlete meetings. If you will just live out the example of the Christian faith, 
somebody's going to run up to you and they're going to say, you've got something that I want. And, and would you please tell me what it is? And, and so I tried to do that. I tried to be nice to everybody. Listen, it might have gotten me most polite of my senior class, but it didn't cause people to run up to me and say, why are you so nice? Nobody ever came. Would you tell me how I can be saved? It just didn't happen. You have to initiate that process. You have to go when God says go. And you have to approach people with the subject of the gospel. Your family, your friends, you have to bring it up with them. They, pray, they, they probably will not bring up the conversation. Your classmates, your co-workers, your neighbors. You have to initiate the conversation. Now, don't be overly discouraged by this. Don't say, well, I just, that's just not me. I can't bring up this conversation of the gospel. When the Spirit of God begins to prompt you, when you know that that's what you're supposed to do, when the Word of God has already told you, by the way, when I say promptings of the Holy Spirit, I don't mean you just sit around and say, well, God, if you tell me to, listen, in His Word, He's already told us to. It's his, the Spirit that begins to remind us of what His Word says and says, hey, you need to share your faith in this situation. But don't think in that moment, okay, well, I've got to walk up to them and immediately start talking about Jesus. Just break the ice. Any way you possibly can, just break the ice. If there was ever anyone who had a difficult time talking to other people, it was me when I was growing up. I had a hard time walking up to people I didn't know and beginning a conversation. It scared me to death. Now, I, I got pretty good at it with, with other fellas, but I remember being in, in middle school, I, I thought, now I've got a few friends, I've got, there's some guys I can talk to, but just, I'm not going to talk to a girl. I mean, that's just not going to happen. I, I'm not going to just walk up to some girl I don't know and start a conversation. And, and then I learned something. You could walk up to somebody, and if it's something that they're interested in, you could bring up a conversation about it, and they would love to talk with you about it. Hey, she's really interested in Georgia football. Conversation start. He's really interested in sports. Conversation started. We've got to be willing to initiate conversations. You know, um, I haven't caught, I haven't caught a big fish in a lake around here in a long time. Some of you are like, man, you, you must be a bad fisherman because there's a lot of lakes around here and there's a lot of big fish around here. I haven't caught a big fish. I haven't caught a bass. I haven't caught a catfish. I haven't caught a big fish around here in a long time. And the reason I haven't is simple. It's not because I'm a horrible fisherman. Because I've caught some big fish in my life. But I haven't caught a big fish in a long time for one reason. I, I haven't been fishing. I just haven't been fishing. I've got so many other things on my schedule, and I know Jared's over here thinking, what else could you have on your schedule other than go fishing? But I've got so many other things, and so many other things that I enjoy, so many other things I have responsibilities. I just haven't had time to do a lot of fishing. And so I haven't caught any fish. And the reason a lot of us haven't led anyone to faith in Christ is because we haven't initiated the process. We just simply haven't gotten up and gone. We haven't gone. We haven't initiated the process. Initiated. Get the conversation started. Now, talking about the weather may be a little bit cliche, but it may get a conversation started. Talking about politics may get somebody angry with you, 
But it may get a conversation started. Even if they get angry with you, you can begin to talk about the people who are running for president and how you're just sick and tired of all this stuff, and then you get to something like this and say, hey, I just can't wait until Jesus comes back and all this won't matter anymore. I can't wait till Jesus Christ, our eternal commander-in-chief, calls us home to be with him because in that day, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, so, so you start talking about politics, and when you're sick of it, you say, hey, there's something better than this, and you go into the gospel. And so a lot of things that people would be willing to enter into a conversation, you initiate the conversation about. Listen, I'll tell you something that is an absolute winner every time. If they have grandchildren, talk with them about their grandchildren. I've never met a grandparent in my life that you couldn't break the ice by talking about grandchildren. They'll talk with you about grandchildren, and you begin to build some rapport there. You've initiated a conversation, and then you begin to say something. You know, that's when my family got back into church. When we had kids, we realized, man, we've gotten away from God, and we want our kids to grow up under the message of the gospel. We want our kids to grow up under biblical principles, and that's when we really got back in, involved in church. You're talking about grandchildren, but you transition to the gospel. Someone was talking about the NFL draft this week. That's something a lot of fellows like to talk about, NFL draft. And they immediately went to the conversation about how a particular person who was drafted is a devout follower of Jesus Christ. See, you can use any subject that is in your comfort zone to move into it, to initiate a conversation. And from that, you can move toward the gospel. So initiate. You've got to initiate. You've got to start talking to people. You've got to start getting to know people. You can't witness to someone that you don't take time to communicate with, to interact with. And then number two, simple enough, inquire. Inquire. You've got to initiate the process, but you've got to find out a few things. You've got to find out a few things. In verses 30 and 31, he had some questions here. He says, do you understand what you're reading? He was diagnosing the situation here. He was inquiring. Do you understand this? Man, he's reading a prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. Philip was an evangelist. He says, man, I am here to tell him about Jesus, and he happens to be reading a prophecy concerning Jesus. I better make sure he understands it, because that's one area where we fall short today is we just assume everybody knows the gospel. And folks, listen, they don't. Oh, oh pastor, you mean people overseas. Everybody in America gets the gospel. Listen, folks. Most people in Madison County, Georgia, do not understand the gospel clearly. And so we need to find out what it is they do understand concerning the gospel. We've got to ask some questions. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you have here? Do you understand the gospel? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? He says, I, I need some interpretation here. I need, some, I need someone to interpret this message. Help me to understand what this message is saying. And see, that's an easy question to ask people. Do you, do you understand the gospel? People love to give you opinions about what they think they know. They love to talk about that. And so there are ways to word questions. You can ask people. We used to have a religious opinion survey when I was getting to know the community here and, and uh, did some training and evangelism with some folks, and we were going door to door, and people would say, you can't really do that anymore. It's the 21st century. 
I remember going to a home in a Northridge subdivision about 15 years ago. A lady who was about 70 years old, I believe, came to the door and I began to ask her. I said, do you mind taking I didn't say, hey, I came to tell you, turn or burn, get right or get left, get sanctified or get french fried. I didn't say, you know, I, I came to beat you over the head with my, 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 my 20-pound study Bible. I said, do you mind if we ask you a, a religious opinion survey here? What are some things you think the churches in the area could do better? Wrote them down. Got some good feedback. What do you understand that it takes for a person to go to heaven? We finally got to that question, and her answer was a works answer. She was trusting in being good and not putting her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So do you mind if I share with you how the Bible answers that question? And this much older lady than I was at the time prayed with me to receive Christ as her Savior and Lord. So we, we, we don't inquire. We don't find out. Folks have come up with great diagnostic questions over the years and all kinds of evangelistic studies. You can steal any of those. You can use any of those. And when you're trying to determine where people are in their spiritual life, let me give you a little secret. Don't give them the answer. You're like, what? Don't give them the answer. You're going to give them the answer eventually, but when you're trying to figure out where they are spiritually, don't give them easy ways out. What do I mean by that? I mean, if I walk up to the average person who grew up in the Bible Belt, and I say, are you saved? They're either going to say, what in the world do you mean saved? Saved from what? Or they're going to say, oh, yeah, I've been saved. I did that already. It's kind of like when I was working with the Salvation Army and everybody said gave at the office. Oh, I did that already. Did that already. If you go up and you say, have you accepted Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? You've given them a quick exit by just saying, they can say, yeah, I've done that. Well, when did you do I'm, I'm not sure, but I know I've done that before. And you haven't diagnosed anything yet. So you want to learn to ask questions like this. If you were to die today and stand before God, and he were to ask, why should I allow you into heaven? What, what do you think you would say in a moment like that? And when they begin to stutter and stammer and say, well, I've been to church or I've tried to be good. I help people around me. I'm not as bad as most people. Then you realize they're not relying on salvation by grace through faith. When you ask questions like, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? You'll find out real quick. Are they depending on religion, good works, or complete trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ? You say, well, it's hard for me to ask those confrontational questions. How about this one? Where do you go to church? Just ask, where do you go to church? You can find out all kinds of things about people. Am I right? How many of you have tried that before? You ask somebody, where do you go to church? And all of a sudden, you found out more than you ever thought you would find out. All right? So more of you need to be asking that question. Just, just where do you go to church? You ask that question enough around here, you will find out that there are about 3,572 people that go to Trinity Baptist in Danielsville. I'm not kidding. Am I right, Tom? There are people that will say, I go to Trinity over there. Oh, I haven't seen you there. Maybe they came before. Ask them where they go to church and begin to diagnose where they are. Do they get to the gospel of faith and repentance? Third word. Interpret. Interpret. See, after you inquire, you need to give some interpretation here. He was reading from Isaiah, but he says, how can I understand unless somebody guides me? I need an interpreter. 
come up and, uh, he said to Philip, come up and, you know, invited him to come up and sit with him. Took this message of Isaiah and began to explain. Philip proceeded, verse 35, to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. He began with what he had and where he was, and we can meet people right where they are with what they know, and begin to interpret the Scriptures. We assume that people already know, and we use language like I've used already this morning. Are you saved? Are you sanctified? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you a brother in Christ? And they hear all that language, and they're like, what? It doesn't make sense. We have to interpret. We have to explain. If I came to you this morning... And I'll let you know right away that my dyspepsia was affecting my musculomembranous passage. A few of you would say, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm going through the same thing. Most of you are like going, wait a minute, what did you just say? Well, what I said was I had indigestion. But I used medical terminology to say that. And if we went around, if doctors went around talking like that, I would say, Doc, you're going to have to put that in layman's terms. You're going to have to help me understand that. And we've got to help people understand the gospel. We have to interpret what the Bible says for people. That's why I didn't get all upset about this whole thing. You know, there's kind of a movement and an author that I really like a lot. Some of you read my blog on this. An author I really like a lot, a fellow, a pastor I really like a lot, uh, wrote a book called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And his point was people don't understand what you mean by that. But really, no matter how you put it, because he's all for using language like sola scriptura and, and, and sola fide, you know, faith alone. And I, You begin to use language like that, you've got to explain it to people. And if you talk about asking Jesus to come into your heart, you have to explain what you mean by that, because the Bible says sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Make him number one in your heart and in your life. Turn from sin and self. Trust Christ alone. Put your faith and trust in him. We've got to begin to interpret the gospel. And so, explain to people. You realize all of sin that comes short of the glory of God? What are you doing? You, you've learned some scriptures. Some of you grew up in the Awana program and you've got it memorized. Put it into practice. Do you understand that all of sin that comes short of the glory of God? And that the, the price, the penalty for our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and you can, by faith and repentance, turn in from your sin and yourself. And by faith, that's trust, that's believing in Jesus Christ, giving your life to Him. Explain the difference between intellectual knowledge and real faith and, and trust by putting your life and your confidence in someone. Begin to interpret the gospel. You say, I don't know, I, I have a hard time getting to that part. There are so many wonderful tools that make it easy for us. I'm going to show you one that's going to take a minute and a half that you can use. The North American Mission Board has made this available, and, and folks are sharing it all over the place. I had a fellow sit. Listen, th this video you're about to see, a fellow did this with me when he was showing me what Nam was doing to make the gospel just real simple to clarify for people. He said, hey, I want to show you this new tool. Meet me at Starbucks. This was over near Brazelton. He said, just meet me at Starbucks, Starbucks and, and, and I'll show you how to do this. So we're sitting in there. His name's Randy Mullinex. He's, he's with the Georgia uh, Baptist Evangelism Department. And Randy has a deep voice that really carries and fills up a room. So Randy is sitting there, and he's doing this demonstration that you're about to see. And his 
deep, loud voice, and it's carrying all over Starbucks. So while he was teaching me a method, he was witnessing to everybody in Starbucks that day. Watch the video. Simple enough, wasn't it? You can do something like that. You say, well, I don't, uh, still, I, listen, get the conversation started. Nowadays, about 75% of you can pull out your phone 4G. You're right there on YouTube. You can share a video like that with someone and say, hey, watch this. Do you have any questions? So interpret the gospel. Help them to understand the gospel. Answer their tough questions. Use, uh, you know, Trinity has a partnership with truelife.org that has videos that answer all these difficult questions about our faith. Share those videos with friends. Use social media, anything you can possibly use to interpret the gospel. Explain how people can come to faith in Christ. If all else fails, download the Awana gospel app on your phone. That's a great app. You can download it. You can share the gospel. You can interpret the gospel. And then you have to draw the net at some point. The last word is invite. Invite. Follow up on this. They're traveling down, verse 36, the road. They came to some water. The eunuch said, look, that's interesting. In this situation, the eunuch is initiating his own follow-up. Here's some water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There he's saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah and that he's the Son of God. And they ordered the chariot to stop. And Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he was baptized. He was looking, this eunuch was looking himself for an opportunity to respond. The invitation is simply giving someone an opportunity to respond. In a corporate worship setting, we give an invitation into the service. Why? Because we want to give people an opportunity to respond. When you begin to build a relationship with somebody, give them the opportunity to respond. Now, church, listen, there is absolutely nothing wrong with social missions Outreach, sharing the love of Christ with people who don't know Christ. But we need to give people an opportunity to respond to the gospel. So there's nothing wrong with social missions, but the problem that happens a lot of times is people are out there doing a lot of things in the name of missions, but they're never giving people a chance to respond to the gospel. There's nothing wrong with relational evangelism. Relational evangelism says, I want to build a relationship with someone Get to know someone for the sake of leading them to faith in Christ. Now, young people, that's not a dating relationship. We're not to be unequally yoked with non-believers, but it's talking about building some kind of friendship, some kind of connection with people to share the gospel. But a lot of people use the term relational evangelism, and they never get to calling people to respond. Invite them to respond. Invite them to make a decision for Christ. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's work in their life, certainly, but invite them. Give them the opportunity. You know, if I were to begin to tell someone about a celebration, if I were to talk to Tina, sometimes I can get in, in trouble with Tina because we can fill up the church calendar and talk about some wonderful things we got coming up, and then somebody else from the church will tell Tina about it, and she'll go, well, I never heard about that. If I were to begin to talk to Tina and say, well, we're going to have this wonderful celebration. It's going to be awesome and all this stuff. And, and I keep on talking about it, and then I were to say, but honey, I hate to tell you this, but you weren't invited. It's going to be a great party. It's going to be a wonderful celebration, but, but, but you're not invited. And sometimes in our relational evangelism, that's the way we are. We're talking about how wonderful God is and what God's doing in my life and how he's blessing. We know the gospel. We, we talk about what's going on at the church and how God's working in the life of the members of our church. But we never get to that point where we say, listen, you can be a part of this. 
Would you like to join the celebration? Would you like to experience this for yourself? Oh, I, I can lead you in a prayer to show you how. So every message that we're proclaiming with our lives needs to give people an opportunity to respond. There are long-term opportunities and there are immediate opportunities, but opportunities to respond. We're to invite them to the celebration. Jesus told it this way in, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 23, he gave the parable of a man who threw a big celebration. He threw a big banquet. And he had invited a lot of dignitaries, a lot of special people, and they said, no, we're not coming. And Jesus was like, well, we're going to have a celebration. So the, 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 in the parable, he's illustrating this celebration. And he's saying, listen, the, the king sent out, and he said, you go to the highways and hedges, and you find anybody and everybody you can, and you compel people to come because we're going to have a good time. And that's the way it is with the gospel. Go and invite them to come in and be a part of what God is doing. Four words. Initiate, inquire, interpret, invite. Say those four words with me. Initiate, inquire, interpret, invite. Say it again. Initiate, inquire, interpret, invite. You can do that. Get it started. Initiate, inquire, find out where they are. Interpret. Make the gospel plain and then invite. Let them come and be a part of it. Folks, there is a heaven and there is a hell and Jesus Christ is real or we wouldn't be here today. And if all that is true, then we need to be inviting people to the party. Would you bow your heads with me?